an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Is that echoing a little bit? How's that? Great. Um, I wonder, do you have trust issues? As you come here tonight, do you actually have trust issues? There are very good reasons to have trust issues, I reckon. I bet we've all got stories of people who have betrayed our trust. So we've trusted someone and then they have proved unfaithful. They've let us down. And as a result, some of us here even tonight might be a little bit cynical uh, toward people, toward friendships. I've been let down too many times maybe, you might say or think. I find it hard to trust people because it hurts when I get let down. This is, might be especially the case if you've... Uh, had a parent or a friend or brother, sister, whatever, a great loved one who has appeared to promise big but then has kind of failed and hasn't fulfilled the promise. Life experience can really scar us and can leave us in a place where we find it hard to trust other people. Tonight, I wonder whether or not as we come to discover God more in our life, Daily as we live and seek to investigate God, and God offers to us the hand of friendship, and God promises all these other things to us, I wonder if we might actually transfer some of our trust issues into this relationship with God. So that when God says something to you or to me, we find it hard to trust what he says. After all, we don't want to be hurt by yet another person's unfaithfulness. Do you have trust issues that are, you're transferring perhaps onto God? Is God faithful? Is God faithful? Can we trust God? Now you might be thinking, yes, God is faithful. Yes, of course, I can trust God. But is he really faithful? Do you really trust God? Or do you just say stuff because you were taught that? And the reality is we don't live daily with a deep conviction in our hearts. Is God faithful? Can we trust God? These questions are the same questions that the Jewish people, um, right at the time, just before the first Christmas, about 2,000 years ago, it's the same questions I think they would have been asking. Is God faithful? Can we trust God? 2,000 years ago, before the very first Christmas took place, the social and 
political climate amongst the Jewish people was very interesting, to say the least. It was a time when the people were experiencing great oppression at the hands of their Roman rulers, the Roman occupiers. The Roman Empire ruled over this once powerful nation of Israel. Israel used to be, you know, kind of top of the king of the castle, if you like, and people bowed to them, and, but now they're being oppressed. They're being treated harshly. And daily, in the time of Jesus, they're experiencing this oppression. And in the middle of the oppression, there's some people are beginning to remember a promise from God, a promise from God to provide help. And you can imagine the thoughts of the people just returning to this promise and saying, you know, God, will you prove faithful to your promise? Will you fulfill your promise? Can we trust you now? Zechariah 9 uh, and a few verses, um, 9, 10 and 13, this refers to God's promised help. And it was many years before the people then were experiencing this oppression. I read it from verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. The promise, and there's many other scriptures that are God's promising, and it's coming, this promised help is coming in the form of a king, a king who will rule over a vast area, who will rise against the oppressors, Greece, Rome, and make the nation of Israel like a warrior's sword. God is promising a king, his, his anointed one, who will bring salvation. This is the promise. God had made the promise, and the people are thinking, are you going to be faithful to this? Are you going to fulfill it? So the same question that might be on our lips now as people who trust at times but maybe find it hard to at other times is the same. Is, is God faithful? Can we trust God? Well, the Christmas story um, is God's cosmic unfolding of his faithfulness, faithfulness to all people. The Christmas story can provide us with information that might help us, that might help us to put our trust in him. And I say might because some people hear the story and they get it and others hear it and it leads to nothing. No trust, no friendship with God, no hope. The Christmas story is God's continued unfolding of his faithfulness. I wonder will we get it a bit tonight. Please look with me at the first couple of verses from verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. 
Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now I read that and I just think we've got to try and get into Joseph's headspace at this point. We've got to see it from Joseph's perspective. Joseph is betrothed to Mary, but pledged to be married, betrothed. And this, in the custom of the day, was being as good as married. To be betrothed is not like our engagement, um, where people can often appear as committed as 13-year-olds. Sorry to use 13-year-olds who are really committed. (laughs) Being betrothed is like your first year of marriage. That's what it's referring to here. You keep living separately with your parents, and then on a day, about a year later, the marriage uh, is consummated. It's marked by this great ceremony where the people gather together and they lead in procession to the new married house, where I assume they consummate the marriage with mad... um, They consummate the marriage. (laughs) From Joseph's perspective, he's pretty much discovered that Mary has been unfaithful. Mary, his betrothed wife, knocked up by another man. And then because Joseph is a good bloke, instead of making a public spectacle out of her and shaming her in public somewhere, he decides to divorce her quietly. It's an amazing thing that um, God would begin to show how faithful he is and poor old Joseph... His wife just looks to be unfaithful. Of course, for us reading it tonight, we've kind of got a heads up because the the writer Matthew is kind of putting in these prompts for us. So we read it it and it says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Christ meaning God's anointed one. So we immediately go, this could be out there and crazy and we'll believe whatever. And then also it states, somehow this pregnancy is the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. We're kind of got the inside information, but Joseph, he's sitting there going, my betrothed wife is just being unfaithful. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Joseph, he's pretty much decided to divorce what he perceives to be his unfaithful wife. But then God intervenes through an angel. The angel says... Don't be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you would give him the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. Now, I don't know how Joseph took these words from the angel. It must have been right out there for him. We should be deeply moved as well. The notion that um, there's going to be one called Jesus who will save his people from their sins. We should be moved by this. The name Jesus is the Greek form of Joshua. And Joshua means the Lord saves. And just in case we miss the fact that 
um, this child and Mary's being conceived by the Holy Spirit, the writer of the gospel quotes Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, another prediction made many, many years before about the promised king who would bring salvation, not just a human king, not just someone who would rise up and God would use as, a, as the, he'd used to as a human tool. No, the virgin, it says, will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This child, God in human form. This child, this God in human form, will save people from their sin. And this child will be called Jesus. So God had promised to raise up a king who would bring salvation, and our God has fulfilled his promise. God is faithful. God is faithful. Of course, the cynic in me, as I read this passage, I could be a cynic, so let me play the cynic for a moment. Because I could say, that's all well and good, that this little one inside Mary, that no one's seen before, is going to be God and bring salvation to all from oppression. It's all good to hear that, really. It's all well and good that Joseph had a dream that his child... A dream that his child would save the world from oppression. That's the kind of dream I'll have about my son and all my expectations. Maybe I had a dream the other day and he's going to be like president. No, no, he's not going to be prime minister, whatever. Anyway, Anyway, get the cynic idea. I want to see the kid come out. I want to see the kid grow up and save the world before I would believe in something like that. That's what the cynic could easily say reading those verses. But then the beautiful thing is that that baby has been born. And this year, that baby's been born. The baby was named Jesus. The baby grew up. And then Jesus, as a real-life adult, made the same claims about himself, that he was alive to bring salvation from oppression. And not only did he say it as a real person 2,000-odd years ago, he also did things. He did profound things, profound miracles like healing the sick and even raising the dead. And he himself was murdered, and it's documented outside of the Bible. He was murdered, and he was risen to life. And the Bible says he's with God today in heaven, still alive. The beautiful thing is that Jesus lives, and his life while he was here, it vindicates. It vindicates, it proves right all that was spoken about him, and all that he spoke about himself. The cynic in me with full credibility can believe. So both the people 2,000 years ago and us today, we have the question, is God faithful? We can rest assured because God has promised and God has fulfilled his promise. He has proved himself faithful by sending Jesus to save the world from oppression. Is God faithful? Yes, he is. Indeed, this is his character. This is not even like a one-off, just in case you thought maybe he got it right once, but then he kind of muffs it all the other times. It's not a one-off at all. The writer of Psalms puts it like this in Psalm 100, verse 5. It says, For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever, and his faithfulness continues through all generations. And then in Psalm 
117 verse 2, it says, For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Is God faithful? Yes, he is. Forever. Now, it's um, common knowledge amongst biblical scholars today that the Jewish people, 2,000 years ago, at the time before and at Jesus, as time when he, after he was born, when they were awaiting a saviour, they weren't, um, if you like, looking for salvation from sin. The hope was, was for salvation from Rome, salvation from the Roman oppression. So I can kind of, you kind of get inside their heads going like, oh yeah, come on God, raise up this military nationalistic king who will come in and dominate and we'll have this awesome practical kingship here right now. You can get them wanting that. And then God here fulfills his promise and he provides a, a king for salvation from sin. And I can hear them saying, that's a little cheeky, God. You, you fulfilled your promise, but you gave us something we don't really want. Or you have sent someone to save us from something that isn't really oppressing us. We want a king to release us from Roman oppression. We don't really care about salvation from sin. Now, you might even think this way. You might even go, what irrelevance to be saved from sin. I don't care about that. I need saving from something else. You might think, I need saving from loneliness. I need saving from being, feeling like life has got no purpose. Or I need saving from feeling like I'm a waste of space. Or I need saving from boredom. Or I need saving from feeling unloved and not cared for. So you could be saying thanks for that, but it's kind of not even what I want. In a way, it could be like someone promising you a Ferrari. And you say to yourself, oh, I always wanted a Ferrari. The person who said, I'll give you a Ferrari, this is how much I love you and want to provide for your deepest needs. And then they give you a Ferrari. And it's a matchbox car. They fulfilled their promise, so they're faithful. But who wants to trust someone like that when they offer what they offer is pointless? The secret, however, is that we can miss the point. God knows our deepest need. God knows what truly oppresses us and holds us captive. God knows that our real need is to be saved from our sin and the sin of the world. We don't always get this, but God in his perfect and infinite wisdom does. Three years ago, if I was asked what my greatest need was, I would have said, to understand that I'm not failing life. That's what I would have articulated. It's been my deepest need. Three years ago, the fear of failure gripped me so strong that I was suffering chest pains. That's year one after being here as pastor. Out of anxiety, because I thought I was failing so much, I would have chest pains, waking moments. And the only kind of relief I got was when I was asleep. On a couple of occasions, the anxiety manifested so uh, strongly, it manifested in nausea to the point where I just was at the, kind of the kitchen sink going, I'm just going to throw up. I think I'm just going to throw up. Didn't know why I was feeling it. Just going to throw up. Now, you might, some of you might look at me and just go, um, Phil, we thought you had it all together, but I'm sorry, not so. So being a husband, being a father, being a pastor, I felt I was pretty much failing. 
Now, if I was asked what my greatest need was then, like I say, I would have said to understand I'm not failing life. As much as it would encourage me as people told me that I was going all right, the feeling of success wouldn't last. And quickly I would resort to feeling like I'm failing life again. The peace came, the deep peace came when I knew God had saved me from sin and brought me into a relationship with himself. Probably a year, still going, I think, in that process. Still wrestling with it. But that's, the peace is here and it's growing. When I knew that God saved me from sin and he brought me into a relationship with God. If God accepts me for who I was, as in back then when I was feeling the pain, if God accepts me then, if God sees me as his adopted child, if God loves me, I'm not failing. God knows that the things we most need, the thing we most need is right relationship with him. God knows that sin prevents us from having that friendship. So we therefore must be saved from it. There will eventually be a day right, when God deals with Rome. Whatever your Rome is, whatever you feel is deeply oppressing you at the moment, there will be a glorious day. There will be a glorious day. But for the immediate time, you conquering sin to have friendship with God is vital. So God promises us salvation from sin and salvation from a broken friendship with God. And he's fulfilled it through Jesus Christ. Is God faithful? Yes, he is. Let's continue on. Please look with me at the last couple of verses from verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph trusts God. He does what God through the angel tells him to do. He takes Mary home, completes the marriage process, whatever that is, and when Mary gives birth to the boy, Joseph names him Jesus. So God has proved faithful and in Joseph we see shows how to trust with action. Now we've looked at a couple of questions and the, the first one being, is God faithful to actually save us from the oppression from sin? And the answer is, yes, he is. But what about this second question? Can we trust God? It's an excellent question that we need to continue to wrestle with. There's great tension here. Joseph um, models that we can trust God. Indeed, if God is as faithful as the Bible makes out, if God is as faithful as all those people who have gone before us and who are with us today who testify, the answer is a resounding yes. Yes, we can trust God. But the tension is that even though we can trust God, many people don't trust him. I would even have a guess and say many people who call themselves Christians find it hard to trust him. Now, it's a sure truth that God says he wants us to trust him for our whole life. That's, that's a definite truth. He wants us to kind of like entrust ourselves or to surrender our life completely over to him, to trust him that much with our life, to say, here I am, have me, have me. That's a goal, God's goal for every person. But I want to focus on one foundational aspect of trusting God. 
And I'll pose it to you as a question. Do you trust in Jesus Christ as the one God has provided to save you from sin? Do you trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness from sin? Romans 10.9 reads, If you confess with your mouth and Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So say it again, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Through belief in Jesus and giving your life over to him, you're saved. You're forgiven from sin and brought into eternal friendship with God. That is, that's a simple truth. This is God's promise to all people. Saved, forgiven from sin and brought into eternal friendship with God. Now that's saved from all our sin. That's saved from uh, the sin that I've done ever, all the sin I've done in my life. That's saved from the sin that I'm just in at the moment. And it's saved from all the sin you will ever do. Saved from past sin, from present sin, and all the sin that you're going to find yourself messing up in the rest of your life. That's God's promise to you. Now, I don't know, um, conversations over some people, there's all these words going in the head right now. How can that be if I'm doing this, if I'm doing that, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. No, 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 no. Well, sorry about your headspace, but God just says, trust me, put your faith in Jesus Christ for your forgiveness. You've got to surrender those thoughts and give them over. And just give your life over to living for Jesus. You've got to trust Jesus and that's it. It's a possibility. It's a definite possibility. I wonder, do you trust in Jesus tonight? I can remember as a high schooler, a time when I went abseiling down a rock face. Just raise your hands if you've been abseiling before. Yeah, good. You'll be able to relate perhaps. I can remember having the harness on like strapping on the harness and it kind of feels a bit weird, but it's important apparently. Um, then they attach a, uh, kind of like a rope to your, to your harness and that's kind of the safety rope if you fall off, the other bloke can catch you. And then you kind of have a little rope yourself and you kind of, kind of work your way down the cliff face. I remember the instructor, um, PE teacher and outdoor extraordinaire, Roy Clark. Anyway, he said something like, you know, um, it's like walking, you've got to walk back to the cliff, so the cliff's behind you. I won't do it there. Um, the cliff's behind you, and, and so you've got to sort of back up to it with all your gear on. And he said something like this, lean back into the rope. Just lean back into the rope so that you're like in a sitting position. Um, and so you've got to sit back, and you just have to trust the rope. And you're going, there's nothing under me. There's nothing under me. And, and you're telling me sit back in the harness and just lean and trust the rope. It's like, you know, everything... Um, in you, it screams, don't trust the rope. Grab the cliff. Grab the rock in front of you. That's what it screams out. 
And I did a little bit of grabbing. I remember on this occasion where you're leaning back and you're kind of going, you're trying to grab it. I didn't do it as bad as some. Some people kind of forget the strength of the rope, forget they can trust the rope, and they kind of attach themselves to the rock like a starfish, just going, get me up, get me up, you know. But the strength of the rope, it's secure. It's so strong. And to abseil, you have to trust it. You've just got to lean right back into it and trust it. And then the more you trust it, the more freedom you have to enjoy abseiling. So you can kind of jump out from the rock. Yeah, that's cool. Or you can kind of go, going to kind of run along the side of the, of the cliff face. And then if you, when you get a bit better, you can kind of go, and you kind of big, do big jumps. And you, get, you start to really enjoy it because you're trusting the rope and the gear. The strength of the rope is secure. And the abseiling, you have to trust it. Now, let me tell you, your salvation, your forgiveness from sin is secure in Jesus. To live in relationship with God, all you have to do is trust. Trust Jesus. It's the only way. And the more you trust him, the better it gets. Not always without pain, but the better it gets, your friendship with God. Now, if you're here tonight and you're struggling with trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, for salvation, for past, present and future sin, if you're struggling with that, let me offer you something uh, trite, cliche and simple. And it will probably frustrate you. I'm sorry. I think it's the answer. Ask Jesus for help. If you struggle to trust or you haven't trusted yet or you're used to but not now, ask Jesus for help. Do it tonight. Do it tomorrow morning. Do it tomorrow lunch. Do it tomorrow dinner. I'll keep going on and get the pattern. Make it a priority until you get it and then keep doing it so you can keep growing in trust. Ask Jesus for help. God's promise to us all, to each and every one of us tonight, that is that he's the saviour of the world. He's the risen Lord Jesus. He's alive today. And he's God's promised saviour. Why don't you see whether or not you can trust the promised saviour? Why don't you try him out if you've got trust issues? Christmas is a time to remember how faithful God is. The time of the year to slow down and think about, think about the arrival of God in person, of Jesus. The arrival of Emmanuel. The arrival of Emmanuel, go with us, it's profound in so many different ways. If we can manage to stop, if we can manage to still ourselves, allow God's gift of salvation in Jesus, regain a place of focus, we may again come to see how faithful God is to his promise. And by the grace of God, we may also come to place more of our trust in the great Saviour, the great Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In this Christmas season, may your trust in Jesus grow. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we um, can so flippantly come into Christmas and we can sing songs about uh, the birth of a child in a manger. We can go through the Christmas motions of whatever, 
oh God, help us slow down. Help us slow down and get how profound this is. Jesus, we ask for your help. I ask for your help. We ask for your help. Please help us trust you. Please help us trust you more and more for our life. Trust you more and more for the complete forgiveness, for assurance of salvation, for our friendship with you, God. Please help us, we pray, for your glory and for the building of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, just when you came in too, you would have received in your bulletin a response card. Um,